What are the Enneagram instincts? Well, let's get into it. The Enneagram instincts describe the most fundamental part of everyday life. Instincts are just immediate, often subconscious reactions to our environment. And we do a thousand things every day that we don't even think about that are caused by our instincts. And what the Enneagram does is group all those instinctual behaviors into three main categories. The social instinct, the self-preservation instinct, and the sexual instinct. We all have each of these three Enneagram instincts operating within us to varying degrees. However, we usually have one dominant instinct that influences the way our core personality gets expressed. It's important to understand that these instincts, or variants as some people call them, are the most superficial layer of your Enneagram type. So in case you didn't know, your full Enneagram type has three main layers. The most superficial layer is your instinct. A layer below that is your primary Enneagram personality type. And a layer below that is your Enneagram wing, which is the number either directly to the left or to the right of your Enneagram type. So the most complete description of an Enneagram personality type should sound something like this. I am a one wing nine with a self-preservation instinct. And as you get to know the Enneagram, that complete description will tell you so much about a person. Fun fact, if you count up all the possible combinations of Enneagram personality types, given the fact that there are three instinctual variants and nine personality types, each with two different wings to choose from, then you have 54 different Enneagram type combinations, each with nine different levels of health. And just by comparison, Myers-Briggs has only 16 possible combinations. Anyway, let's get back to the instincts, starting with the self-preservation instinct. People with a self-preservation instinct are far more concerned with the basic necessities in life, their home, their health, their job, and their money. All of these material things are important because they bring comfort and security. And a self-preservation instinct can even take an adventurous type seven and make them love being home because they can renovate and expand and play with their favorite toy, which is their house. And money lets them continually expand their house in new ways with new gadgets and new designs that alleviate their fear of boredom or being trapped in a lame life. Self-preservation is actually my primary instinct, so I feel like I have an intimate understanding of how this instinct plays out in daily life. So for example, I've spent 13 years here in Los Angeles, which is an incredibly expensive city to live in. And for most of my 20s, I was flat broke. So my self-preservation instinct kicked into high gear and I found a way to save enough money each month to pay rent, put gas in my car, and buy groceries. And by groceries, I mean the dollar menu. My self-pres instinct also helped me avoid a lot of toxic relationships because I never wanted to spend my time with people who were wasting all of theirs. Overall, the self-preservation instinct makes people great at maintaining and protecting resources of all kinds. Now for some of the negative implications of the self-preservation instinct. First of all, this instinct causes a lot of worry and anxiety. The most extreme example of the self-pres instinct gone haywire would be those people that build an end of the world bunker in their backyard in case of a nuclear war or zombie apocalypse. The self-preservation instinct is like a radar that goes off around anything that would cause bodily harm or even mild discomfort. In relationships, the self-preservation instinct can make people extremely self-centered. People with an unhealthy self-preservation instinct may keep a sort of poverty mentality where they will hoard resources even when they're well off and then they'll shamelessly ask other people for their time, energy, and resources. Now, one fairly innocuous clue that someone is a self-pressed type is that they tend to hate being interrupted. We see our mental energy and focus as a limited resource. So if we're in the creative flow, you damn well better have a good reason for distracting us or we'll feel like we lost something we'll never get back. 
There's a great scene in The Phantom Thread where Daniel Day-Lewis's character is in the middle of sewing this new gown and his assistant interrupts him to bring him some tea. And this sweet gesture is seen as a needless annoyance. And when she apologizes by saying she'll take the tea and go, he responds by saying the tea is going out, but the interruption is staying right here with me. Yeah, we can be real assholes. On the bright side, self-preservation types can be extremely practical, responsible, and minimalistic. I've loved seeing minimalism take off because it's at the heart of sustainability and necessity. And a healthy self-preservation instinct drives us to have only what we need and share the rest. When a self-pressed person feels at peace with their resources, they can create extremely stable and welcoming homes for others to enjoy. Greed and stinginess are super distasteful characteristics to a self-pressed type. So if you plan on skipping out on the group's tab at a restaurant or not bringing anything to the party, self-pressed types will be quick to cut you out of the social circle. And when people have a repressed self-preservation instinct, they have a really hard time accumulating wealth, caring about their jobs, or taking care of their bodies. Sometimes if we self-pressed types are overwhelmed by life, we may deliberately sabotage our main instinct by overeating, overspending, and hoarding useless shit. But that's enough on the self-preservation instinct, so let's move on to the social instinct. Now, just as people with a self-preservation instinct desire safety and comfort through material resources, people with a social instinct desire safety and comfort through personal connections. They're like herd animals that always travel in a pack for safety. It's a pretty foundational human instinct to form groups, gangs, tribes, and nations, as it not only fosters protection from other outside groups, but it also fosters a sense of purpose and belonging. So even a typically reserved and isolated type five investigator may foster a strong community of fellow intellectuals because they provide a sense of groundedness amidst all the complex theories and ambiguity of life. My wife is a type three achiever with a strong social instinct, and I've seen her cultivate many friendships within every single environment she finds herself in. If you look at our wedding photos, you can even see multiple clusters of friend groups that she's developed over the past few decades. And they're all distinctly different people too. None of her friends are the same kind of person. And that's because growing up, she didn't have much of a stable family. So she needed to find her safety net in the outside world at school and internships and clubs and volunteer organizations. Her desire to be accepted mixed with her extremely charismatic personality taught her that she could get what she needed from pretty much any social situation. Now, some people have a large enough and stable enough family to where their social instinct doesn't really get beyond their blood relatives. However, the majority of the time, the social instinct does create a deep desire to be included in a broader purpose or community where praise and attention can be won. And that's because social types have a keen eye for power structures. They wanna feel plugged in and they wanna know what's going on. They may like random phone calls just to keep their finger on the pulse of whatever the organization or community is up to. And at parties, they will assuredly be drawn to the host or the most prominent figure in attendance. And this desire to work the room makes social types avoid any disturbing or vulnerable topics. Most of the time, social types just prefer to keep the party going at all times. And the last thing they wanna do is draw attention to themselves by expressing some heavy emotions or a controversial opinion. Thankfully, people like Brene Brown are making vulnerability more in vogue, which helps these social types kind of speak their mind, but it's still not a natural reflex for most social types. This avoidance of deep topics and troubling emotions can make social types actually resent the very people they wish to win over. When unhealthy, social types may feel overwhelmed by the sheer idea of making plans or showing up to social commitments. They can feel resentment for all the phony people they've had to impress over the years and go into isolation. They can become defensive against even their most committed, loving friends. And this should become their warning sign that things have spiraled a bit too far into unhealth. 
Overall, the social instinct is a core part of all human beings, and it's the reason why things like solitary confinement or, you know, self-quarantining during a pandemic can become brutal forms of punishment for all personality types. But that's enough about the social instinct for now. Let's get to the one we've all been waiting for, the sexual instinct. I think most people are probably uncomfortable talking about the sexual instinct, especially in groups of their peers or coworkers. And that's why some Enneagram consultants have even changed the name of the sexual instinct to the one-to-one -one instinct. But as uncomfortable as I'd be talking about the sexual instinct with, I don't know, let's say my parents, I'm keeping the label as is. Because as Frank Underwood once said, everything in this world is about sex, except for sex. Sex is about power. That quote perfectly sums up what the sexual instinct is really all about. Power, electricity, excitement, intensity. As the Enneagram Institute teaches, the sexual instinct turns people into plugs looking for a socket. And this instinct can drive even a rigid type one reformer to seek out an intimate and turbulent relationship with chaotic partners just to feel truly alive. People with a sexual instinct are pulled, often subconsciously, into relationships and activities that promise excitement of some kind. This could manifest as a tendency to spark wild conversations about unconventional ideas or taking a spontaneous trip to a new city. I had a roommate in college once with a strong sexual instinct. Don't ask me why I know that. And he once convinced me to drive out to Las Vegas from LA on a random Thursday night. So for some reason, we got dressed in the only suits we owned and started the four hour drive that got us into Vegas just past midnight. I wasn't even 21 yet, so I had literally nothing to do but walk around and hope that I could snag a free drink while he gambled. Aside from almost falling asleep at the wheel, he found a way to make it fun. We were absolutely wrecked the next day and had to skip class, but we're like, oh well, Life's short, and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. That devil-may-care attitude is what can lead sexual types to completely abandon their responsibilities or relationships when they become dull. But their true gift is in their ability to cultivate energy and excitement when there is none. But they have a hard time looking inside themselves for the answer to their lack of intimacy, intrigue, and excitement. When the sexual instinct is completely absent or neglected, People tend to fall into some mindless routines that numb the senses and repress their desire for pleasure. Think about those old married couples that never spice things up anymore because they've got a few kids and a predictable job and a plenty of mind-numbing TV to watch every night. In my younger days, I used to see the sexual instinct as purely self-indulgent. And growing up as a conservative Christian will do that to you, you know, like, let's not talk about that whole book of the Bible dedicated to sensual relationships. Let's just read the book of Numbers again and repent for our heathen ways. For real though, sexual types just seemed like they were never satisfied. And I know some who aren't, but the sexual instinct keeps us curious, keeps us hungry, and keeps us energized as we explore the endless mysteries of life and our partners. I love the sexual instinct for its unwillingness to accept the status quo in life. And when the sexual instinct is healthy and balanced, it can bring vitality and passion to even the most mundane experiences. Oftentimes, we rigid folk just need to give it permission to be present in our daily lives. Otherwise, we're doomed to a life of predictable loops. Okay, that's a good overview of the Enneagram instincts. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please like, share, and subscribe. As always, I'm your host, Colton Simmons, and I'll see you next time on You've Got a Type.